0: Halperin, the the brass. I'm Carson Sestouli, this is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio has entered this season his 11th year of uh, performing play-by-play for Chicago Cubs baseball games. That, of course, following a three-year interval as the voice of the Florida Marlins, then Florida Marlins. And in fact, um, his broadcast partner, Jim Deshays, has also been a guest of Fangraphs Audio. It is Len Casper and what follows. I asked Glenn Casper uh, a number of naive questions regarding the production of a baseball telecast, uh, how he and his partner Deshaies, uh how they've gone about integrating analytics into their broadcasts, or at least analytical ideas, uh, if not uh, actual baseball stats themselves. Uh, and finally, we also discussed uh, discuss the pleasure of not knowing. We discussed the pleasure of not knowing, and Len Casper is someone who not knows uh, quite well, quite well. If there is any ambient noise here, it's because we've recorded this uh, in the Chicago Cubs press box shortly before a game uh, between those Cubs and the Los Angeles Dodgers. What is it? Uh, It's Fangraph's audio. It features Cubs broadcaster Len Casper, and it begins right now. Yeah, well, well put. Yeah, I can use uh, I can use this. I think this will be okay. good. We are Great. currently we're we're in the uh, the bowels of the press box. How <laughs> you right. describe it? Exactly. Um, so, well, part of what I'm going to ask you is just um, very naive production type questions. Sure. Because you are a professional, <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a curious person um, and a dumb one, as uh, so this will help. Uh, where like where are you right now? You just mentioned that it's a little bit nuts here today. Um, like where are you? Like uh, let's see, we have one twenty first mm-hmm. pitch. It's about a little afternoon right now. Where are you right now in your day essentially as a broadcaster? Well, yeah, I go. would say
1: I have most of my most of my prep is done. Mm-hmm. If the, the game started in thirty seconds, I could do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have a one o'clock hit in the booth so just mainly at this point just putting on makeup and getting ready for television which is kind of the, the non-fun part of it mm-hmm. but um my my thing with doing uh, television is once we get through kind of the open where we're on camera and that's all the production elements and they, they make a big deal about it because it's the first thing people see sure then it's just doing a baseball game mm-hmm. so we always kind of take a breath after that first couple of minutes that we actually are on the air and once the first pitch is thrown it that, that's our comfort zone, I would say.
0: Uh, I'm actually curious about that. Uh, I walked into, I'm here with the Sabre Trip in mm-hmm. Chicago, and it happens to be on the same block as Miller's Pub, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which I enjoy going. I go in there, though, and I see you, I see your face and Jim DeShay's face doing that initial hit. And I'm curious about the, the logistics of that particular thing, because it seems to be uh, common among all baseball broadcasters, a sort of moment with the broadcasters preparing you for the game, pr- perhaps being sent there from a, like a, a live. A studio pregame situation, right? Like, what is yeah. the name? And I'm also curious, um, like. To what degree is that scripted, and, what, and to what degree is it extemporaneous? Sure. Well, we, it's all. It's called is the
1: open, and that's the one thing every day that we talk to our producer about. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, it's a text, or you know, early in the morning today, it was you know, hey, let's maybe talk about this today. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, we're going to show Joe Madden bike after the game, talking about the final out and his view of the replay system, and then we're going to go into our starting pitchers. So usually, what happens is on a Wednesday afternoon, uh, you know with a night game, I'll send a text to our producer and say, hey, you know, I saw a great note uh, today that said the Cubs lead the majors in ERA the last two weeks, and they're 9-4 and in their last 13 games. Maybe we can build something on that in the open. And then he'll send it to Jim Deshays, and Jim will go, it sounds good to me. Uh, Then let's say uh, we end up with an injury at 5 o'clock, and one of our position players goes on the DL. Then we say, you know what, we need to do the injury. Let's keep the other graphic, the other topic, and we'll do that in-game. And so we always try to leave some space in case some big news comes up during the day that fits the Open. So uh, a lot of our conversations are about how to do that, because that's the one thing we can control. Once the game starts, we don't know what storylines are going to dominate, but we do know the first two minutes, that's the first thing people see. We want to kind of set the tone for the game that day. And Clayton Kershaw pitched the other night. You know, we uh, we call it a rollout. It's about a 10-second uh, piece of video going to break leading into the first pitch, and it was Clayton Kershaw, and uh, I don't even know who pitched for us that Whoever it was, Jason Hamill, I think. Yeah. I'm not sure Sounds who it was. Right. But we just said, you know, this is the
0: pitch. It was Wada. Yeah. you know, It's lefty night, Kershaw and Wada yeah. coming up yeah. next. You know, so you're, you're essentially next. crafting a... Some sort of narrative lens by which to, through which to view the game. Sure. Right, okay. I think that's a good that's a good way to put it. Okay, yep. all right. In terms of your preparation, um, actually I actually just noticed there you had baseball reference on the screen. Mm-hmm. I, I know you cite fan graphs before. Um, and, in fact, I was watching one of Jason Hamill's recent starts. Um, he's, he's been an, a really exciting pitcher this year. And at one point, you cited uh, FIP, Fielding Independent Pitching. Right. And you did it without necessarily providing a lot of context, which led me to believe that this has been... This has been something that you have discussed before on the broadcast. Absolutely. And I guess my question is, where are you right now, you and Jim, um, and with, certainly in this relationship with your with your viewers? Where you, some things you have to explain a little bit more deeply, some things like FIP you can just cite in the way you would batting average. Right?
1: Well, I would say this, uh, we're not trying to be Dennis Miller, and I loved, I loved his shtick. I watched his show when it was on HBO, and mm-hmm. I didn't get half of his jokes, and that was kind of the, the bit, was that he would say something and you'd laugh because you felt like you had to, even though you didn't quite get it. Right. And then maybe you'd go look up the reference and it'd be like, oh, this is from the Renaissance or whatever. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, I do think that there are times when we maybe drop FIP or Babip, or defensive efficiency, and we'll just drop it and we won't explain it. And I I think fans who like what we do, who may not quite understand that, they kind of want to get in on the on the joke, so to speak. So they'll they'll maybe go research it. But there are times when we say, you know, fielding independent pitching tries to take the luck out of it. And you know, I mentioned three true outcomes the other day with Jock Peterson. And I will remind people it's home runs, walks, and strikeouts. So I think it just depends on the situation whether you have time to, to, to delve into it or not. Um, and then there are other times when I think it's okay just to drop it in there. And if somebody if it goes over somebody's head, that's fine. But I feel like the rest of the conversation in the, that context, they can kind of understand, oh, okay, I, I, I think I know what he's talking about. Basically, saying Jason Hamill's been really good. Right, right, right. And at that point, anything more that we give, if somebody understands what FIP is, great. If they don't, I don't think the point has been lost.
0: Right. Now, in terms of uh, providing this sort of analysis during the course of the game, uh, last year I had the uh, pleasure of talking with Eric Nadel, the the, the radio broadcaster for the the Rangers. Um, He's very much much interested in the sort of advanced metrics and also is interested in how to deliver those Mm -hmm. in a way that, you know, where he's obviously not attempting to condescend to, to his listeners but to improve their understanding of the game. He also said during that, he said, I said, what's easier, radio or television? He said radio because your job is essentially, largely to narrate the game. As a TV broadcaster, a lot of that is taking... Care review, he said. Is the problem with TV is you have more time to make a fool of yourself? How do you how do you contend with that? And uh, what, what do you what do you do not to make a fool of yourself? Well, first of all, I think Eric, you know, is is I think he's right to an extent,
1: but I think that's counterintuitive. Most people would tell you radio play by play for baseball is more difficult because you have to paint a picture and you are telling people where the ball is, and it's very difficult to be good at it. Mm -hmm. I think there is an art form to that. So you will often hear radio is more difficult than TV because on television you're not quite doing the same thing. But he's absolutely correct in that the default mode on radio for a play-by-play announcer is to always say, here comes the pitch, and describe what happens. Whereas on television you do have this blank canvas, and that's where it becomes an analyst medium. Uh, I feel like my job is to really let JD shine. He's a very curious guy. He asks a lot of questions. I love kind of picking his brain, and and he'll we ask each other stuff all the time, and that we don't have the answer to. And I think it humanizes us, and I think it brings us closer to the to the viewer in that sense. And if we're just trying to get a little closer to the answer to something, I think we've 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 won on that front. But. You have to pick your spots. You know, you don't want to get into this esoteric conversation in the ninth inning in a three-two game. Right? Uh, you'd prefer to do that when it's six-to-one in the fifth inning. Uh, there are some games that don't feel close, but yet might be a swing away from being a tie ball game. So those are the times when maybe you'll make that mistake. You know, getting into a story with two outs. I mean, kind of all the the general broadcastery things that you're you're trying not to do. But we break those rules all the time. And my number one rule. In doing this job is to be as event-driven as possible. I come to the table every day with certain things that I find interesting and I may want to talk about. Uh, For instance, today I want to delve into Justin Turner a little bit. His left-right splits are ridiculous. His OPS is like 1,300 against righties and it's under 400 against lefties. I mean, I haven't seen a guy have reverse splits that stark. Yeah. And It's a small sample size, but it's still interesting to talk about. Right.
0: Well it has happened. There's it, no debate right? About that. But like if, if
1: he has two first-pitch swings in his first two at-bats, I may not have a chance to get into that, and I have to be okay with that, uh-huh. knowing that we're going to play the Dodgers in August, and we may have a chance to talk about it then. So I think when you're a young broadcaster, you're, you're, you're hell-bent on jamming something in because you did the research, but the bottom line is that's not a good enough reason. The best reason is it has to fit the context of that day's game.
0: Right. Well, I'm curious you mentioned something about how you don't uh, you attempt not to claim to know something. And I, and I would say that that is any broadcast team that is feels comfortable that that sounds like a great strength. And that's something that of course uh I mean education essentially is the process of learning how much you don't know. Right? Exactly. And but to hear that on um on a broadcast Where I would say there is sort of a masculine ethic. Mm -hmm. There's there's a danger of a masculine ethic where uh, if you don't necessarily have an explanation, you invent one. Yes. And you you don't admit that. I'm curious if that has been a process for you or if maybe that's something you had before you reached broadcasting – and that, and that you've brought that with you. That sort of the the, the uh, being comfortable with with ignorance, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is nature and nurture, and I think for me, it's a little
1: bit of both. I think off the air, I definitely uh, have the curiosity intellectually, and I want to soak up as much knowledge as I can, and I prefer to ask more questions than give answers. So that's number one. Number two. As a broadcaster, it's definitely something you have to learn, and I think I learned it the hard way. I think early on in my career, I tried to act like I knew something or I would agree with something, even if I didn't quite understand it, because you don't want to act like you don't know something. Working with Jim Deshays has been great for me, because he is not afraid one bit. If I mention a band or a TV show or something that's really popular or even a baseball player from the past who he probably should know, if he goes, you know what, I, I don't know who that is. And it's so disarmingly honest. And he it goes both ways where he'll ask me questions out of the blue. I'll, I'll bring up a topic and I'll say, hey, did you see this, whatever, whatever. and I'll go, yeah, but well, what about that? And I'll be yeah. like, uh, I don't have that. Right. And like at first I was like, oh my, you know, like, what is he doing to me? And then I was like, no, it's great because then... I'd be like, well, I'm not really sure. Let's look it up. And then we end yeah. up going down all these fun roads. Right. Uh, I did a thing last night. Uh, I had uh, been curious for years why the Dodgers have red numbers on the front of their jersey when that is not really part of their team color. Now their logo has the red s- baseball with like the sun, the sun rays going over the Dodger logo, but their colors are blue and white. So I, I was like, why do they have red numbers? Well, I actually did a little Internet research, mm-hmm. and I found the answer to it. It was really interesting. So on the air last night, I said to Jim, I said, do you know why the Dodgers have red numbers on their on the front of their jersey? And he said, should I know the answer to this? I said, <laughs> no, not really. And he took a guess, and he wasn't quite right, and yeah. then I told the answer. Um, there are a lot of color guys who, after that inning, would have said, don't ever ask me a question you know I don't know the answer to. Wow. A lot. He's the opposite. Yeah. He found it interesting. And do you know the answer to that question? I don't know.
0: Well, I know that Barnes are painted red because red paint is the cheapest. <laughs> is it because red was the cheapest? Uh, well,
1: uh, red and black and white apparently shows up differently than other colors. And in 1951, when the Dodgers had, I believe, a 12-and-a-half game lead uh, in the National League, uh, Walter O'Malley, uh, the president of the team at the time, Uh, for television purposes, once they got to the World Series, wanted a color that really stood out on the front of their uniform. And if you only got a shot on TV of the front, he wanted that number to stand out so people could more easily identify the Dodger players. Well, as we know, the Giants came back and beat them in the three-game playoff. They did not make the World Series in 51. So that particular part of the uniform debuted the following season in 1952, and has been in the Dodger uniform ever since. Ever since. So it's just one of those little quirky things that yeah. I always wondered, why are they red? Yeah. And so we did that bit last night, and I knew he didn't know the answer. And yeah. that's why I did it,
0: because I knew he would be like, I have no idea. Tell me. Tell me. Yes. I yeah. uh, like that. And I know I know that uh, I've heard it, at least one of you, if not both of you. Um, and this is a similar situation with regard to pitches. Sometimes you'll see a pitch, right. and I'll say, well, that looks like a changeup, But then you hear the announcer say, oh, it's a slider. Mm-hmm. And with certainty, mm-hmm. which... That doesn't that doesn't exist, and if you say, and I think I've heard one or both of you say something to the effect of, "Well, it looked like a looked like a slider, may not have been the breaking ball." The, The comfort not to know. Getting pitches
1: correct is really important to me. I can't watch the monitor. Yeah, It's very difficult to call pitches from the press box. Yes. You, you base it on velocity, and then when it's your guy, it's a lot easier to know. Uh, so I do rely on him to tell me if I make a mistake, and he'll correct me, which yeah. is great. I want to be right. And that's the other tough part with television. On radio, if I say, eh, swing and a miss on a slider, you know, nobody's going to tell me I'm wrong if they're listening. But if yeah. they're watching, you can sit at home and go, well, oh, it actually was a curveball. Yeah. So I'm totally fine with it. Our goal is to get it right yeah
0: good I'm going to let you get your job right right now I really appreciate it thank Anytime, you for I appreciate it
1: thanks for all the nice stuff you've written about us yeah Good really appreciate
0: it